0: 36, if you'd follow along with me, John chapter 3, verse 17 to verse uh, 36, there's some uh, remarkable contrast that we're going to see here. And so, The Light and the Darkness is the title of my message today from uh, John chapter 3, verse 17 through verse 36. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. They came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. There arose a question between some some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee, beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except be given him from, God, from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthy. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth. No man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. For whom God hath sent, uh, for he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And our heavenly Father, we ask that You'd help us to see the importance of these. Remarkable contrast that we've just read about here in this passage of scripture. And we pray, Father, that we might come down on the right side of these various contrasts as we think about them. Ask your blessing on the reading of thy word now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll uh, sing our welcome hymn. I'm going to ask you to sing a verse. This uh, season of the year, when when we uh, uh, have that memorial time to recognize those who died uh, for our country and died in our stead but uh, thank God for the one who uh, is um, above all the sacrifice of our Savior. I've always been blessed by the uh, knowledge that uh, I was named after my Uncle Billy who was among those that were uh, first in the battle there and shortly after the D-Day landing he was uh, in France. He only got about uh, a month into the fighting in France. He was promoted to sergeant and was leading his squad in the heat of the battle and was uh, cut in nearly in half by machine gun fire uh, there and died in the, um, in the uh, country of France, uh, uh, freeing that country. And so I thank God that it's an honor to have been named after my Uncle Billy. And the neat thing about that is that he was named after Billy Sunday. So my grandmother had uh, been influenced by Billy Sunday's preaching uh, early on and had named one of her sons uh, Billy and so um, I appreciate that heritage and this season of the year I always think of that my kids uh, Garrett and Anna uh, put together some letters I have letters from the field from uh, England and from France that Michael Billy wrote to my mom and so they were letters that she passed on to me and uh, they took some of those letters and uh, put them in a frame uh, for me Have them hanging on the wall there by a picture of Uncle Billy and and mom, so that's a, a blessed reminder this season of the year. Let's take our Bibles to uh, the book of um, John, chapter 3. And let's look at this one who, whose sacrifice is above uh, all those, uh, even all those combined of all the men and women who have given themselves in the um, service of our country and for the freedoms that we enjoy today. There's a sacrifice even greater than that. And that is the one that uh, Rachel... Sung of the sacrifice of our Savior. Uh, across America today, or this weekend, and tomorrow especially, there will be graves of those who have died. Be marked with flags. Will be marked with flowers. There'll be families visiting. There'll be grieving wives who have lost their husbands in warfare. There'll be grieving families uh, who think of uh, their loved one who died in battle. And that'll be happening across the country. It goes to the Memorial Day uh, time. This time set aside in remembrance of those, that have, particularly of those who have died in in, uh, in warfare right, of our country. It goes back to the Civil War when grieving mothers uh, had the hope that Americans would remember the sacrifices that were given for their sons in battle. As I was doing my uh, my um, history of our family name, I discovered that we had. We had uh, wrenches that fought on both sides of uh, the conflict. We had uh, had some rebels and some, um, uh, some yanks in my background. And so I've often wondered if they ever came in contact with each other, and uh, brothers, cousins, uh, whatever they were uh, in uh, warfare. But the, the, uh, the memorial was a memorial day as a result of uh, uh, those moms desiring that Americans would remember the price that... Uh, uh, had to be paid, the price it was paid. Uh, a few months ago, I read uh, of the USS Juno. The wreck of the USS Juno was found off the Solomon Islands by uh, a group that was put together by the Microsoft founder, and uh, they had discovered the Juno. It's significant because it sunk on uh, November 13, 1942. It was sunk in the Battle of Guadalcanal, and serving on board were five brothers, the Sullivan brothers. Uh, from Waterloo, Iowa. They had all joined the service at the same time on December 8th, right after the announcement of the uh, great travesty that occurred in uh, December 7th in Hawaii when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, one of their friends was there. In fact, it was the fiancé of their sister who was there serving, and he was killed in that, uh, uh, in that um, attack there in Pearl Harbor. And so the five Sullivan brothers all signed up, but they insisted because they were so close to each other, they said, we stick together. And um, they wanted, it wasn't common for the, this to happen, but they wanted to be assigned to the same vessel. They all joined the Navy and wanted to be assigned to the same uh, vessel. And so they were, they were assigned to the USS Juno. And the Battle of Guadalcanal, it was a very uh, hard-fought battle, and we lost uh, dozens of ships uh, during that to, to uh, Japanese submarines and one of them was the Juno It was hit once and disabled and was listing badly, it was uh, limping away from the, uh, the battle field. But then it was hit a second time right in the powder magazine and the munitions, and it just exploded. Uh, and um, it was, uh, it was uh, quite a sight. But the uh, Sullivan brothers were killed. Two of them survived, actually, but uh, there was a mix-up in the rescue, and they were left on at sea for several days, and both of them died. Uh, at sea, so all five of the southern uh, southern, uh brothers Sullivan brothers died there in that uh, in that uh, war effort so the uh, the parents of course in their deep grief were were uh, still willing to uh to speak and on the radio and they went, they traveled to shipyards and equipment plants and in support of the war effort and uh, they said this they said uh, we want all Americans that can to do their part, so the sacrifices of a sacrifice of our sons would not be in vain. We want to win this uh, war, and we don't want the sacrifice of our children to be in vain and so uh, so that uh, was a real uh, a real aid to uh, the war effort in the sense that many people uh, did more than they would have done otherwise. But since the fall of Adam, we uh, have experienced wars and Rumors of wars, the Bible tells us that there will be wars and rumors of wars until Jesus comes again. And War and death is a part of the curse that has fallen upon man. War indeed, uh, Death indeed has, as the Bible says, passed upon all men. And uh, the result of in, uh, sin entering in is the condemnation that ultimately ends in death. It's the condemnation that we have read about in our text today. Uh, But in the grace and mercy of Almighty God has been given for us that way of escape from this condemnation. So in the text we just read, I want to just point out a few of the contrasts that we see there, some startling and powerful contrasts as we look into the passage and how they present for us a choice that we have to make. You know, when Israel entered into the Promised Land, they crossed the River Jordan there, right across the way from Jericho. And as they were looking at that, you could see on the left and on the right hand, two mounts, two hills, mountains, they called them, uh, Ebal and Gerizim. And they had their uh, men divided up, and they put half of the people on uh, the Gerizim side, half the people on the Ebal side, side and from Mount uh, Gerizim they read the blessings of the Lord from Mount Ebal they read the cursings of the Lord for those that uh, refuse and rebel against him and so blessings and cursings two mounts a valley between a, a valley of decision in between so that's kind of like what we're seeing here we're seeing two contrasts several contrasts back and forth and a valley of decision in between so today I want to encourage you to think about where you stand on these things as you make uh, your choices and the choices that are to be made, the extremes on either side, uh, and the direction to go either way, the contrasts that are here. First of all, I want to point out to you something that was obvious to you as we begin the reading. It was the, the contrast between light and darkness. Verse 19 says, light is come into the world, and men... Love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Every man that doth evil hates the light, hates the light, and neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be reproved, it says there. And so we have that contrast between light and darkness that uh, we see there. Uh, John the Baptist began preaching as, about that light, and we remember that from our. Uh, Our look at uh, John chapter 1, we went through John chapter 1, we saw verse 19, that was uh, uh, John's preaching, he said, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, as he's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. We remember last week when we read from John chapter 3, how that whosoever will may come to him, how that uh, Jesus Christ uh, died for all men, that every man may have the opportunity, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, believeth in him, should not uh, perish but have everlasting life. And so every man, says John, that light has lighted every man that come into the world, and whosoever will may come over and again, Uh, that invitation to the light is extended to whosoever will and to every man. Thank God for that light that is there, that is available, that contrast that exists between light and darkness, and really the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Uh, God certainly has not ordained any of you to die and go to hell he has not uh, foreordained anyone uh, for the, the uh, lake of fire. No, He's not uh, made that uh, a, uh, a prerogative that you have no choice in. No, He's always given every man the opportunity for that light to come to the light. And whosoever will may come. Today, your name can be placed in place of that whosoever will. You can put your name there. And put your name and said, you may come to the light. You may come today. Uh, You may come and have the light of life today. Thank God that that light is every man. Uh, There's none for whom that light does not shine. There's none born without a hope of light. And certainly the theology that teaches the idea that uh, the bulk of the world is condemned to everlasting hell and, uh, and destruction without hope of ever coming to Christ. That certainly is an errant philosophy it is not biblical theology. It's just an errant philosophy that crops itself up every now and then and gets popular every so often, this philosophy of Calvinism. But it is certainly not a biblical philosophy. It's the philosophy of a man, but not the theology of the Bible. Thank God that uh, none is born without hope, and none is born without uh, the chance of uh, coming and seeking and finding God, finding Christ. The choice that so many make, though, is to turn away from the light. We read, read about that. Why, when the light is there, would we turn away from the light? The choice is made by so many, and we might uh, wonder why they would do that when the light is there. Why would they do what the Scripture says here, uh, that um, they, they uh, hated the light and they turned from the light? Well, the answer is given in the passage there, because he said men love darkness rather than light. Why do they love darkness rather than light? You can't see in the dark. You can't know where you're going in the dark. You can't understand things in the dark. You can't know uh, what God wants us to know in the dark. So why would men love darkness rather than light? Well, it answers the question, because their deeds are evil. Their deeds are evil, and evil is done under cover of darkness. Evil evil is done under the uh, cover of anonymity, where that you... Uh, think that no one sees and no one knows. That's uh, where evil is done. Men love darkness rather than light because of the carnal appetites that our, nat- our human nature has, our carnal nature has. Evil thrives in the darkness, and so light exposes that. Light exposes the, uh, uh, the evil deeds and reproves them, as the Scripture said. When they're brought out into the light of day, the deeds are exposed. As a kid, my dad would sometimes take me with him on a errand or something. Whenever my dad would get a hold of a little money, he'd always spend it uh, at a bar. He'd always go to the bar. And so whatever errand we were on to go to the drugstore or uh, whatever it was, if I was with him, he'd always stop by the bar. He had a favorite bar. It was called the Little Gem. In, it was on Oracle Road and Roger Road, and, and uh, he took me in there with him because he um, he uh, couldn't get from anywhere to back home without stopping at a bar. And so we went in. It was a concrete block building, had a rusty metal sign outside the front there, and it was a neon light that was always on. And um, I'd go in with him. I was not comfortable with it, but as a kid, I'd go in with Dad, and he'd set me in a bar stool beside him there. And I was struck by several things whenever I went in there or whenever I went to find him and get him out because my mom needed him for something. I was struck by the strong smell of alcohol that is in those places and by the darkness of the place. It was always dark in the middle of the day. It was like night, always in the middle of the day. The only, uh, the only light was the neon lights that were glowing in the uh, various signs behind the bartender uh, of advertising the different Beer and whiskeys that they had available, and uh, it's just that uh, that uh, place, that, uh, you know, to me, was like a place of death and dark and so on. Whenever someone would come in to the bar, the bright light of the sun would come through the door for a moment, and you could see the men inside would squint at the light, and, and then it was closed, and they were back in their comfort again. And um, he, we would, uh, he would finish his drink or drinks, and. Uh, and uh, he, we'd be leaving and back out into the bright light and, and into the car, and he'd say, now, as we left, he'd say, now, don't, you don't need to tell your mom that we stopped here. And so that was always his warning. You don't need to tell your mom that we stopped here. Uh, but uh, he and those that were with him in the bar there loved the atmosphere of darkness because of what they did. There were no windows at all in that concrete building, no windows anywhere. Uh, the only light that ever came in of the sun was when the door came open and went closed again. And I have often thought of that place and the atmosphere of that place as an illustration of uh, the, the darkness of sin. We all have choices to make as we go along the way. We all have choices to make toward darkness or toward light. I wonder today, as you're thinking about choices you have ahead in your life, life Is it going to be toward darkness or toward the light? Is it going to be toward the world and the flesh and the devil? Or is it going to be toward righteousness and light and life and hope in Christ? What is the choice? What are the choices to be? With that uh, contrast between light and darkness, we see also another contrast introduced. He says the contrast between those that doth evil and he that doth the truth. He that doth evil... On the one side, he that doth the truth, on the other side. And so we have that choice as well, to do what we know is not right, or to do what we know is right, and the choice is always ours. Inside of that contrast is yet another contrast that determines what a person does, whether he doth the truth or whether he doth evil there is a contrast inside of that, and it's, it's the contrast between love and hate. The choice about doth truth or doth evil is related to the choice uh, concerning what we love and what we hate. Uh, there were those that hated the light of God, and therefore they were motivated by their hate of the light to do that which tended toward darkness. And so their motivation toward evil was the hate for the light. And the light uh, was hated because it convicted them. Uh, My father did not want my mother to know what he did, spending the little money that she had and that she earned, uh, you know, washing clothes and ironing people's clothes and cleaning people's houses. Uh, My dad didn't work. He was disabled and got a little bit of disability from Social Security. Uh, Back in the 50s and 60s, that wasn't a whole lot of money. So my mom always worked, and it was uh, when uh, he'd find a little of her money that he spent it like that. So my dad never wanted mom to know about that because he was ashamed of what he was doing, ashamed about it. And uh, didn't want that to come to the light. And that's the way it is with evil, with sin. Uh, It exposes, light exposes the evil heart within us. And so we don't want everybody to know about it. We don't want everybody to know what we're reading. We don't want everybody to know what we're watching on television uh, late at night. We don't want everybody to know what we see on the internet and what we're. Uh, dabbling in and we don't want people to know that because the light brings the shame and the conviction so men hate the light because of that people in their natural state hate the light and the hate for the light is what drives their decision making I wonder today what it is you hate and what it is you and I love a hate for the light of God then there's the love of the light when we want the light, and when we desire the light, and we want the exposure, when we want to, uh, we want the truth to be known. We want our heart to be revealed. The love of the light motivates us to do right, to seek uh, and do the truth, to uh, uh, have the Lord manifest in our life. As it said there in the passage we read, uh, that ought to be our motivation, our what we love. So we need to really examine as we think about contrast, what do we love and what do we hate? What do we love and what do we hate? And so it is uh, important for us in that, in that respect, in that regard, concerning what we're going to do, whether we're going to do evil or whether we're going to do truth, do the truth, you see. Uh, that is the thing. Now we think, in terms, we think in terms of believing the truth. We think about, well, I believe what is true. I believe that the Bible is true and I believe these things are true. And so we think about uh, truth in the sense of believing it about, believing about it and assenting to it, agreeing with it. But here the passage, unusual, uh, says that he that doeth the truth, he that doth the truth, doing it, it's an action that is predicated on a belief, you see, doing the truth. Uh, the real belief results in doing the truth, not just saying I assent to the truth, see. There's a difference. Well, I believe the truth. Well, that's good. But does that uh, testimony of belief in the truth reflect in what you and I do with our choices? Does it reflect? If I screamed, the building's on fire, everyone out, uh, and you believed it, it would result in you taking action and doing the truth. You would uh, do What you needed to do to escape the fire, even if you didn't see the fire, if you believe the building was on fire. And so uh, our actions really reflect what we actually really do believe, you know, what we actually really do believe. Do we actually really believe the Bible is the word of God? Do we actually really believe the importance of eternal things? And do we actually really believe that the people of God ought to be gathered in the house of God and worshiping the uh, Savior who we worship? Do we really believe that or do we just more or less give moral assent to these things? Well, he says here that the motivation for us to do the truth is the love of the light. And if we don't really love the light and we don't really want our deeds to be manifest and we don't really want Christ to be manifest in our life, then our actions are going to reflect that. You see, it's so important for us to understand these contrasts have bases they have reasons behind them why we tend one direction or tend the other direction they have reasons behind them then there's a third contrast that we read about there and it's separated by just one word and the contrast is the condemned and then those not condemned either condemned or not condemned opposites condemnation is not as we saw here for some day later he said those that believe not are condemned already They're already under the condemnation of God. They're in uh, God's jailhouse just waiting for the sentencing of death that's to be passed upon them. Uh, The condemnation is already, as verse 18 says. So we're under the judgment of God if we're not uh, believers, if we're not all in for Christ, if we're not a child of God, if we're not saved, if we're not born again, we're under that condemnation already and just waiting for the carrying out of the sentence. Verse 36 says, The wrath of God abideth upon him. I mean, it's living on top of you. You're like, you're like uh, the spider that's got hanging over the fire by one thread, and uh, the wrath of God is uh, just abiding on you. There you're, you're, that, you're that close. You're that close to eternal destruction, eternal damnation. The wrath of God abideth on him. Uh, To drive the thought home, uh, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 7, Psalm 7 verse 11 following, God is angry with the wicked every day. That's not the philosophy that the culture has, you know, Uh, God's just this jolly old grandfather upstairs there someplace kind of getting involved with the world every now and then and throwing a little blessing here and a little blessing there. Oh, he's there to blame whenever anything goes wrong in our life. It's his fault. It's God's fault. Why did God let this happen to me? Why did God let bad happen in the world and so forth? And we like to blame God for the sins of men. We like to blame God for condemning men who condemn themselves, who make their own choices. We like to blame God for all that. And so he's there for that in the culture in the world that we live in. He's there for that. But, uh, but we never think of him as, as uh, a God of judgment. God of wrath. God is angry with the wicked every day. And the Bible says in verse 12, If he turn not, he will whet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutor. They'll be made drunk with blood. Verse 14 says, Behold, he that is the wicked, the wicked travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and it's fallen into the ditch which he made. The judgment of God that condemns us who uh, have uh, been outside of Christ and have rejected him and have turned toward the darkness, the judgment of God abideth every moment upon us, and uh, he is wetting his sword. He's sharpening his sword. He's making his sword of judgment ready for the persecutors and ready uh, to shed blood. It's uh, though uh, the, the Lord is at the point at the door of judgment. And yet he says, remember, that it was this uh, choice that this person, this wicked made himself that created the condition that he's in. He dug a pit to, to, to uh, destroy someone else, and he's fallen in the pit that he made. So the judgment of God is, uh, the condemn- condemnation of God is that he's condemned already. Pastor John Phillips, he's a commentator, also said this. I want to read it. Uh, From his commentary on the book of John, he said this concerning the word perish, an, an apt description of the word perish. You know, the promise was that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we should never perish but have everlasting life. Here's what the word perish means as John describes it. We have all seen people destroy their bodies with sins, but God threatens to allow sin to complete its work beyond the grave by destroying the soul. The soul does not perish like the body. The soul is immortal. Sinners take with them into eternity unquenchable thirsts, terrible passions and appetites, mad cravings and inflamed desires, fierce longings and furious hates, lusts and loathings, white hot temper and spine-chilling fear. Those destructive character traits will continue to ravage the soul and will never be either satisfied or stilled. I don't want to see anyone go to hell and face what the Bible says is perishing. For the Bible says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not God's will that anybody's in hell. It's the choice that men have made to follow darkness and hate the light. And my friend, that's uh, such an important concept for you and I that know Christ to get across to those who do not we must get the message out there there's another contrast that comes to light as we go on down there it really started at the beginning with that it's the contrast that we see in the text a couple of times the contrast between believing or believing not Uh, abiding in unbelief or believing and now um, you know uh, there's people that don't believe they don't believe there's a God you might be here. And you're not convinced there's a God at all. Maybe that's you. Don't believe there's a God. There's people that do believe there's a God, but don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. There's people that believe the Bible is the Word of God, but it's corrupted and corroded and changed and altered, and we don't really know what is and what isn't. There's people whose unbelief goes along those lines, but it's all unbelief. It's all unbelief, and there are those that abide in the unbelief. The Scriptures... T- Teaches us, tells us of those persons. There are those that would even give mental assent that God is and that the Bible is the Word of God. There are those like that who would mentally agree that these are so. Maybe you're here like that. You'd say, yes, Jesus did die for sins, and the Bible is true, and God is God, and Jesus is who he claimed to be, and all those things are so, and I agree with that. I believe that. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that belief. There's no error in that belief. But the difficulty is this. In the book of James, he said, You believe that there is one God? He said, You do well. But the devils also believe, and they tremble. They are one step ahead of you because they believe there's one God. They know Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. They know who he is. They even tremble in fear at God. They have the fear of God. They have things that many people who say they believe in God don't have. And yet they're not, they have no hope of salvation. Their judgment has already been cast so just believing about God, that's important. But if you're resting your eternal soul on believing about God, you're in a bad place this morning. You're in a bad spot. You're in a bad spot, and you need to uh, settle that question. You need, to get that, uh, uh, you need to get that one nailed down. You see in the Scripture here the contrast between believing and believing not. And the idea here in believing is that they, they, he used that term, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just believe about Him and believe the historical facts of Him, but believe on Him, on Him, on Christ, you see. He's the foundation uh, of everything. He's the rock upon which you are to fall. Uh, Luke chapter 20 and verse 17 says, He beheld them and said, 'What uh, uh, What is this that then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected... The same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it'll grind him to powder. So I wonder if today you're under the stone of judgment, you're condemned already, or have you fallen on that stone? fallen in submission, fallen in subjection, fallen in heaven, your will broken, your self broken, your own way broken, and fallen on Christ believed on Him? Have you rested your faith on Him alone? Have you come to that point at which you can say, uh, I'm all His and He's all mine? Have you rested faith on Him alone? John 3 and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Well, I believe, I believe about Jesus. I believe about Jesus, say ye. But do you believe what that says there? Uh, he that believeth not the Son, do you believe everything he said in his word? Do you believe it's all true? Do you believe to the point where it reflects in what you do, decisions you make, Things you see, what you listen to, where you go. Does it affect you in every area of your life to where that you can say, my life reflects that I really believe what the Bible says? Or does your and my life reflect that we kind of would like to think we believe it, but our life doesn't really show that, doesn't demonstrate that? My friend, uh, the message that God has for us here is for you. Uh, if you haven't come to that place where you've rested, you're all in him. You who are saved here now know that there's one more contrast here to call your attention to. And that's the one that we see where John is testifying here. And we need to be following the example of John as Christians. You're a child of God here. You're, you, do, you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has affected your life. It has caused you to make decisions that are different from the ones you used to make. It has uh it it has altered the way you live it has had an impact in every area of your life and thank god for that, that 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 uh salvation is the real deal it's the real thing thank god for that if you're saved i'm not trying to uh i'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation if you are already saved but i want to make sure that you have that thing nailed down that you don't just believe like the devils believe you know I mean, they believe everything. They believe the whole Bible. They believe all the Bible is the Word of God. They don't doubt. They don't question one word of it, not one word. Um, And you may say, well, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. But, you know, your belief is not, theirs is not on the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not rested in Him. They're condemned. So may you and I be if we have not rested our faith in Jesus Christ. So for you that have, for you that have, thank God for that. For us, the contrast is here. The contrast is, is in what John the Baptist said about this one when they came and said, you know, John, all, all these folks that were following you and were following us, they've gone over and they're following Christ and he's baptizing people over there and it seems like it's all over for us and it and, uh, seems like all the attention is going that way and his disciples and and he, and he, he's baptizing up the river not far from us here up the way. And did you notice, by the way, it says... They baptized there in that place. They've been to that place where they baptized. And they said they baptized there in that place because there was what? Much water there. Uh, kind of rules out sprinkling, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of rules out pouring over your head. You've got to have much water because you've got to be buried in deep water. You've got to have a, a demonstration of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that, uh, that is in baptism. And so, uh, so there was much water there. They were baptizing, and Jesus up the way here, and the disciples of John are coming and saying, You know, there are more over there than here. And John John has uh, no element at all of any jealousy, any animosity, any desire for attention. He says, uh, that's wonderful and that's great. And he says, here's the deal. He needs to increase while I decrease. Uh, And that example is given to all of us. That is the contrast that all believers should be uh working toward working on the lord and his word and his will need to be growing more and more important in our life and our self-will and our personal ambitions and our self-esteem means, needs to be less and less important in our life those are the that's the contrast there for you and i that know christ as our savior letting him increase and letting me decrease letting him be more and me be less see that's what we're talking about Because uh, we'll all make up the bride, as he talked about the bride and the bridegroom there. We'll all make up part of the bride, but he alone is the bridegroom. We'll all get to be part of the bride, but he alone is the bridegroom. He's above all, he said, and we are below. We're from the earth. You know, we're made out of dust. We're made out of dust. I got a lot of it when I was weed whacking this week. I think I breathed in two pounds of uh, pollen out of the mustard uh, weeds that are out there. So... Coughing a little bit from that uh, but we're all made out of that dust that's what we're come from we're of the earth earthy but he's from above all the bible says it over twice three times there he is above all above all above all he's the master we're the servants is that your attitude toward uh, your walk with god he's the master we're the servants of the master how opposite that is to the sink the, the thinking of our culture today which uh, secular culture demands that we think more of ourselves and more of ourself, and more of ourself, uh, until we just fall in love with ourselves, you know. Uh, it doesn't take much for people to fall in love with themselves, you know. And uh, uh, you wives know how your husband brags about himself when he stands in front of the mirror. He's got that pot belly and all that stuff going on. He's <laughs> lost his hair, but he th- still thinks he's handsome and debonair and dashing, you know. Uh, it's our it's self, you know, our self-image. We don't have any trouble with that, you know. What we need, what the trouble is, is we need to, uh, make more of him and less of self, don't we? We all need that. So uh, are you found on the right side of these contrasts that are here today? The Lord is still today seeking and saving sinners and you can come to the light today. He'll provide you all you need. He'll provide you the grace to to stand, the ability to come. He'll provide everything that you need if you simply surrender to him. And that's what believing on him is, is really surrender and submission to Christ. That was the difference that, uh, existed between what the devil's had and what the child of God has, a surrender and submission to Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've come to that place where that has occurred in your life. All, all the help you need, all the mercy you need, all the grace you need, he's going to give that to you. He's just waiting on you to say yes to him and step across the threshold and put your arm in his and let him save you. He'll do that today if you come to Christ. He'll do that today. Thank God for those that have trusted Christ recently. are going to be baptizing Several today uh, who have uh, called on Christ and, have, and now know that there's no question where they stand with Him. Thank the Lord for that. There were two ships that have been commissioned since the Juno sunk. They've just recently, as I said, discovered where the resting place of the Sullivan brothers is in the Juno off the Solomon Islands. But since that time, as, back, as, as soon as 1943, a second ship was commissioned. The name was changed in honor of the Sullivans, and the, the ship was called the USS the Sullivans. It wasn't the USS Sullivan. It was called the USS the Sullivans. It was commissioned in their honor, and uh, it was, uh, as, uh, did its tour of duty and its service. It made it through the war, and uh, it was decommissioned in January of 1965. Following after that, a second was christened. It was christened by the granddaughter, of one of the Sullivan brothers. It was Albert. The one Sullivan brother who had actually been married had a, had a little boy they left behind when he died uh, in the war. The others had uh, fiancés and uh, those plans to be married, but only Albert had a wife and son. And it was his granddaughter that commissioned the, this second ship called the Sullivans, and it is in service to this day. It is uh, operational to this day. It is... Uh, the Sullivans' name that continues to live on in naval archives. And while the earth remains, probably the name of the Sullivans will be remembered in one fashion or another. But there's a far more important record than the naval archives, and that's the record in heaven, the eternal record. And I wonder if your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'll assure you of this, every one of your names is in the Book of Life because you're alive. Well, some of you don't quite look alive today, but... Um, <laughs> But you're more or less alive, you know, you're not quite dead. But, uh, so your name is in the, in the book of life. It got put there when you, when you were conceived. Your conception was the beginning of your life and got put there when you were conceived. And so it's been there all along. Uh, but if you have uh, not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you die, your name is blotted out of the book of life. And it's not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's bad. That's really bad news. Because those two books are going to be what's open at your judgment. When you stand before God in judgment, he's going to open the book of life. He's going to look for your name. If it's blotted out, there's no need for him to look for your name in the Lamb's book of life because it won't be there. And I wonder today in heaven's record, when the books are opened, as the book of Revelation talks about, will your name be written there? If not, come running to Jesus today and trust Him as your Savior now, and be born again. Get your name where it needs to be, not just the book of life, but into the Lamb's book of life as well. And then, Christians, let's you and I, God help us. We all have the tendency to, to want to have the focus on us and have the attention and be the, uh, you know, be the one that's uh, you know, having others hear our complaints and all that. Uh, let's ask God to help us decrease while He increases in our life. Let's stand together, give an invitation. And you come, whatever the need is today. If you're coming to trust Christ, that's foremost in importance. But Christians will be coming to pray and just commit themselves to the Lord and refresh their uh, walk with God. There will be some Christians that will be uh, kneeling here at the altar in that, in that uh, form of decision. And thank God for that. If you're here and you need a church home and you believe this is where God wants you to be, you've been saved already, thank God for that. If you have been saved, born again, then uh, uh, let's, uh, let's do business with, uh, with the Lord. There are those preparing for baptism can slip out and get ready, and then uh, the rest of us will uh, let's let's do some um, let's do some work with the Lord here. Let me ask you, to bow your heads, and we'll have a word of prayer. Before we pray, is there are there those that say, preacher, would you pray for me? I, I'm not sure that question is is settled in my soul. I I believe in God, and I, I've believed, but I'm not sure that uh, I, I have uh, really in the way you're talking about. Come to the light and trust in Christ as my personal Savior. Uh, I, I want that question settled today. And here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand and let me pray? Between you and the Lord and me, just uh, ask God to help you. Lift, lift your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me. That's where I stand. All right. I see that hand there. And someone else? Pastor, would you pray for me? Yes, I see that hand. You can put it down. Somebody else? Pastor, would you pray for me? My prayer won't save you, but I'm going to pray that God will give you the grace and help and, and the uh, light to come to Him. Somebody else like that? Pastor, pray for me. Don't put me with those that you're praying for. My prayer has got no superpowers or anything like that, but Jesus hears our prayers and answers them according to His will, and I know His will is for Him, for you to be saved. I know that. So I'm going to pray that you trust Him as your Savior today, and I'm going to encourage you to come and, and, uh, and make that commitment. The Lord will help you come. The Lord will help you. There will be other Christians coming, too. There will be some coming for other reasons, but you come. And then if you're here and you're saved, but you haven't been baptized the Bible way, you should, you should take care of that. You should come and, and uh, present yourself and the next time we baptize and, and uh, do business. Then if you're here and you need a church home, you feel like it's where God wants you to be, let's serve him together here. Father, we ask you to uh, bless these that have lifted their hands. Several indicated that they still uh, struggle with that question of uh, uh, eternal life. They're not sure their name is written in the lamb's book of life father i pray that they would have the grace to come you give them the courage to take that first step know that you'll go all the way with them and that lord you're in the you're in the work of saving them even as they take that first step of surrender and submission to you in coming and so father i pray for these that lifted that hand that they would respond they would uh come they wouldn't be uh, ashamed of uh, confessing you as their savior Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you'd bless Christians too, help us to respond to your uh, word and help uh, those that need to make a decision about a church home, that they'd find a place to serve you where uh, you lead them. I pray that if it's supposed to be here, that you'd make it clear to them. I pray for those that need to be uh, biblically baptized. I ask that you'd uh, help them to respond in obedience there. I pray for your work to be done, your Holy Spirit, to do what we can't do, We ask this in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a verse of invitation softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling 550. As we sing that verse of invitation, would you slip out and come as others are responding to the invitation? Will you join them? If you lifted a hand or even if you did not, come on ahead, will you?